0: America at a Crossroads is a weekly live webinar series that brings together journalists, scholars, thought leaders, and policymakers for discussions regarding the state of American democracy, where we've been, where we
1: are, and where we're going. The series was jointly founded by Jews United for
0: Democracy and Justice and Community Advocates, Inc. To register for our live
2: webinars, join our email list at jewsunitedfordemocracy.org. I'm David Lehrer, and I join Janice in welcoming you to another session of America to Crossroads. To there, those who observe the Jewish New Year and all others who value good wishes, we extend our hopes for a happy, healthy, sweet, and peaceful year ahead to you all. On October 11th, we will have a very special guest, the only female Speaker of the House in the history of the United States, the Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi. She'll be in dialogue with LA Times Pulitzer Prize winning columnist Pat Morrison discussing America's challenges. That will be in three weeks from tonight. Subsequently, we'll host Adam Nagorney, 27-year veteran of the New York Times. He served as chief political correspondent for the Times before he moved to Los Angeles in 2010 and became its bureau chief here. His book, The Times, How the Newspaper of Records Survived Scandal, Scorn, and the Transformation of Journalism is coming out next week. He'll be in conversation also with Pat Morrison as they discuss the Times and more broadly the transformation of journalism in the digital age. It's now my pleasure to introduce an old friend and a highly regarded expert on generational change, Morley Winograd. Morley's a senior fellow at the USC Annenberg Center on Communication Leadership Policy. He served as the senior policy advisor to Vice President Al Gore and headed Gore's National Partnership for Reinventing Government. His several books on young people and their attitudes have been acclaimed and we've had him discuss this topic with us before. This should be a great conversation. Morley?
0: David, thank you. Thank you for that kind introduction. I was delighted to hear Janice that at least one of our viewers is from my hometown, the place I was raised in, Huntington Woods, Michigan. It isn't that big, so one's a good thing to have. We're going to talk tonight about uh, generational change and its impact on politics, one of my favorite topics. I want to begin by introducing our two speakers. Uh, And then I have a, before I do that, I'm going to just take a moment of your time to set the generational context before Celinda Lake sets the demographic context of tonight's discussion. Celinda was one of the two uh, pollsters for, is one of the two main pollsters for President Biden. She is a a well-known and well-respected, if not honored, uh, pollster for Democratic campaigns as for as long as I can remember and I'm 80 years old, but she isn't um and um, and she's also the author of a great book What Women Want, which uh, turned into a bestseller of a movie as I recall, but that was probably just the title. Um, her partner in all of this is Mac Heller who makes his uh, uh name and recognition for being executive producers of outstanding documentaries. One called Rigged is available if you're a Prime subscriber. You can search for Rigged and you'll see his work. The next one you can't quite see, but he's completed a film uh, on uh, the Gen Z, the generation we'll be speaking most about tonight. And will contribute his expertise and insights in that world of generations as well. I say his film has Gen Z in the title because it does and I won't correct him, just the rest of the world, on how rotten a name that is for a generation that has nothing to do with Zs or Zooming. Uh, they are in fact the most pluralistic as in fragmented and differentiated generation in American history. And uh, that is the key characteristic that a generation, which we also always try and use to capture a generation. but. Just as millennials used to be called Gen Y, people today are still calling that generation after millennials, Gen Z, and I will uh, stick with that protocol to not confuse people for the rest of the evening. Gen Zs are now 18 to 26, at least when looking at the electorate. Obviously, there's many more of them younger than that, which is a good thing for our future politics. And millennials, if you remember reading any of my books about how young and different they were are now 27 to 42 starting to raise or, or starting a family and trying to raise families. Quite a different uh, perspective than they had when my books were, the uh, books I co-authored with Mike Hayes were um, were being read and acclaimed, as David indicated. So now to set the demographic context of what all this means in terms of elections and politics in America, here's the person who really knows, Celinda Lake.
3: <laughs> Well, thank you, Morley, very, very much. And uh, I'm very humbled to be on this with you. So uh, you're the one who really knows. And I'm very pleased to be on with Mac, who is a very, very thoughtful and innovative uh, communicator. So our conversation starts, and thrilled to be on this uh, Zoom with everyone. Our conversation started uh, because so many people were thinking, oh boy we're going to have the same repeat we're going to have the same repeat of the election it's going to be trump biden it's going to be the same electorate and this was a very different time for many reasons but the electorate is showing some very very significant changes that uh have a lot of say in the politics since trump has first been elected and will have a lot of say in the future every year right now, 4 million Americans turn 18 and gain the right to vote. That means in the eight years between 2016 and 2024, there are 32 million new eligible voters. Remember that Joe Biden won by 7 million. Every year, 2.5 million older Americans die. Now I'm not wishing for that change and I'm closer to that end, Uh, but uh, I don't think that's any surprise. And in the same eight years, that means there are 20 million fewer older voters. If we talk about um, the total shift then, that's 52 million net shift uh, against the older uh, people. And that is a sea change. And it's particularly a sea change uh, because Gen Zers, and they don't get credit for this, and very few people know it, so you can be the conversation stopper at the next Uh, Zoom or party that you're at, Uh, Gen Zers are voting in higher numbers than their predecessors did when they were young. Everyone talks about the cynicism of Gen Z. They are cynical, everybody's cynical, Uh, but they actually believe in a role for government more than any other cohort ever has. And they are voting in higher numbers than the previous cohorts have. They voted in the presidential years, 8% higher, and they voted in the midterms now, granted, it was an exceptional midterm, 46% higher, and they have been the ones that have really um, showed up to vote at all of these <coughs> abortion elect- elections, starting with the Kansas electorate, following an Ohio electorate in August. And remember, these initiatives were put on the ballot because nobody was supposed to show up to vote, and yet we had record high registration and turnout, particularly among the Gen Z uh, women, but by the Gen Z men, too. Now, a lot of people say to me, isn't that going to fall off? Aren't people going to get tired? And I say to them, as long as there's sex and as long as you can get pregnant, I don't think people are going to get tired of this (laughs) issue, Uh, particularly young people. So young men, you'll be glad to know, are as committed to birth control and contraception as young women are. Um, This is a very interesting uh, age cohort. Now, normally age cohorts get uh, slightly more conservative as they age, and certainly the Gen Xers did. The millennials, we're still waiting to see what happens. But this is a very different kind of cohort. 48% of the Gen Z voters are Black, Indigenous, or other people of color, while the baby boomers are 72% white. This is the most diverse cohort we've ever had. Uh, Their uh, children will be even more diverse. And uh, it is an astounding sea change in a very short time in the diversity of America. Gen Z voters are the most educated group in history. The majority of these college graduates are uh, female. And college-educated females have one of the highest voting rates in this cohort and also vote solidly democratic. They are a very uh, secular cohort, uh, the most secular we've ever had. They are also uh, believe in gender fluidity as a value and they list racism among their top concerns. So there are a lot of differences here that could produce some really sea changes in terms of our country and our politics. And the most important thing in my segue uh, to Max's comments this cohort is the most issue oriented cohort we've ever had. Um, the old University of Michigan model said fifty percent of your vote was determined by your party identification, forty percent by the your assessment of the character of the candidate, and ten percent by issues. This is a very issue oriented um, cohort. They care passionately about issues. They're very knowledgeable about issues they vote issues, they like initiatives, and they're very cynical about politicians. They think both of them, uh, both sides promise and don't deliver. The issues that they're focused on right now are the economy. Uh, They're focused on democracy, particularly young men. They're focused on abortion, which is very big among young women. They're all focused strongly on climate change. They're focused on education. They're focused on what are we going to do about high tech, and they use words like monopoly um, and price gouging. They're very populist voters. Um, And they also, uh, while they're somewhat optimistic, they're having a hard time getting a start with the price of everything, the price of inflation, the amount of student debt, uh, the kind of job market. They can get jobs, but how many jobs do you need to keep up? The one area they're very pessimistic about is the future of democracy. Uh, they think the democracy will be worse off for them than it was for their parents. So let me turn it, uh, Mac, to talk more about the issues and how to reach these voters.
1: Uh, thanks, Celinda, and thanks, Morley. And it's good to be with everybody. And, Morley, as you were pleased to see somebody from your town in Michigan, uh, my hometown of Dayton, Ohio, is represented by two people, and, and I make three, uh, so I'm... <laughs> I'm thrilled to see my fellow uh, Daytonians on the call. Um so Linda mentioned how issues matter. And w- when we look at older voters now, their behavior is actually relatively what I'll call tribal. Uh, this is my team, that's your team. Uh, the, the information intake is from tribal sources on both sides. Uh, younger voters are very skeptical of that and they regard their experience in this country as different from the rest of us growing up and frankly, more negative. They, they, they would describe their youth to me, uh, as we were filming, uh, as being starting with nine 11 and the Iraq war, and then going on to the great recession and kind of for their cohort, permanent economic insecurity and school shootings and cower under the desk and then the pandemic and then George Floyd, and then January 6th. Uh, and so when they, hear some older politicians say, we're the United States of America, we can do anything. That's not consistent with their experience. It makes them feel alienated, makes them feel frustrated. And they go right to issues at this point in the conversation, because from their point of view, there are four, five, six, seven issues that as they've watched it, their government, our government has been unable to make progress on in the 15, 20 years 30 years uh, uh, that they've been around, what are those issues? Climate, as Celinda said, at the top of the list. Uh, School gun safety, near the top of the list. Uh, uh, Female reproductive rights, backsliding. Uh, And and I, I had one very memorable conversation where I asked a young person why he was planning not to vote. And he said it didn't do any good. And I said, my version of we're the world's greatest democracy. We can, if we pull together, we can get anything done. Uh, And he said, Mac, I'm going to go through the things that I think Congress and the president ought to have on their agenda. And you just raise your hand when I get to one that our government has been able to do anything about. And he got, you know, through those I just mentioned onto economic insecurity, uh, racial inclusion, LBGTQ inclusion, um, uh, student debt, Uh, And he, you know, and ultimately he uh, had made his point. So their experience of their youth was different from what we remember growing up and their experience of our government is different. Uh, They view it as fundamentally, uh, they are more likely to view it as fundamentally incompetent. Um, And uh, so on paper, they they usually end this conversation by saying, therefore, I'm not going to vote, but then they go do vote. Why is that? it's because they're very animated on individual issues. Uh, When you talk to a young person, they will say, what's most important is climate. What's most important uh, is abortion rights. And they vote uh, in that direction. And uh, uh, we all saw the uh, registration numbers, especially for young females, pop uh, after Roe v. Wade uh, was reversed. And so, it, 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 we're going to get in a minute to to what the various parties should do to attract the vote of this growing cohort with uh, increasing influence in our electorate. Uh, but it's going to start with issues. You need to focus on issues. They're not going to vote for you because you're a Democrat or a Republican, and they're not going to vote for you because of your smiling face. They're going to vote for you because you have persuaded them credibly that you will take these actions on their favorite, uh, issues of the day. Marley, I'm going to pause there and let you back in. Sure. Thanks. Both of you.
0: Uh, let's stay on this, uh, uh, situation that the emergence of Gen Z presents for addressing and winning elect- elections in America. So a lot of what, uh, Celinda had to say was very positive for Democrats. Um, and uh, I know that about two-thirds of this generation, in fact, voted for Democratic congressional candidates in the 2022 election. But then you guys uh, took a turn towards the issues, and Mac, you did a great job of outlining it and their attitudes towards it. And you emphasized the fact that that's what was motivating them to vote. And clearly, that's not party loyalty and not a guarantee, therefore, that they're gonna be voting Democratic for the rest of their wonderful lives. So how much of a threat do you see, uh, either Mac or Selinda whoever wants to start, from the burgeoning third party movements uh, that are in America today?
3: Well, I can start with a core stat. Um, 53% of Gen Z say right now today, I'm likely to consider a third party candidate for president. Now, it's really early out, and people um, vote, you know, tend to consider third parties more. Um, And really, young people have four choices they have third party, they have Democrat, they have Republican, and they have stay home. And as Mac talked about, stay home is a very, very viable option. Uh, So there are two opponents that the Democrats are really facing stay home and the third party. It's important to remember as well among independent young people, it's over 60% who say I would consider a third party. That can be the margin of of victory in some of these close states easily uh, if you peel that vote away. And if the contemplation of a third party, I think there's an intersection here where the contemplation of a third party can also mean if your third party turns out not to be viable and it's a wasted vote, maybe you just stay home and don't bother to waste your vote. It's important to note also that the third party uh, the Green Party in Cornell West is on every uh, in the ballot on every state in the country, so this is a very very viable threat. And Mac, I'll turn it to you.
1: No, I agree. Uh, the, the, there's there's no loyalty to a party, and there's a pride in not having loyalty to parties, and their their response institutions, or, yeah, or institutions broadly. Why would I be loyal to party X? And so I, I think that's a, a real risk, and that 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 game will, will will go on. And uh, having said that, uh, you know, we I think it's important for us in this not to talk just about the presidential election, uh, because uh, the congressional elections will be almost as important. And those will be fought on issues. You can see both parties positioning on the abortion issue. Democrats like where they are. Uh, one of the leading presidential candidates um, Made some remarks a few days ago uh, ab- ab- about a compromise position. so and you heard Nikki Haley do that as well. so we'll um, uh, we'll we'll see where it all goes. but I think the third party uh, thing is a danger. but remember Congress, remember the Senate, remember government governors and and local races are going to matter too, and those will be fought much more on the issues.
0: off the top of your head, Mac, and then selinda can you think of any issue in which the Republican party, is taking positions that are attractive to young voters?
1: Uh, young voters, I mean, I, I'm trying not to give the short answer, no, I can't. Uh, <laughs>
0: be, be, because
1: be, because I think it's important to remember that young voters are complex as we all are complex. Right. Uh, uh, and if, uh, if the economy turns down and if the Republicans succeed in persuading young people uh, that their jobs, their livelihoods are threatened, uh, uh, that will matter. That's a line of attack. Um, uh, uh, but when you go down the issues we've talked about from climate to abortion to gun safety, uh, 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 the Democrats are in a pretty good position with most young people, far from all. The abortion issue, for instance, has young activists very much on both sides,
0: and they feel very strongly. So, Salinda, since
3: it's your job.
0: Since it's your job to give Democrats advice, let me turn the question, that same question around for you, and then you can respond as you were about to. Can you think of an issue in which the Democrats are not aligned with the attitudes, beliefs and values of young voters, youngest voters in particular?
3: No, I can't think of an issue that the Democrats aren't aligned with, but I can think of many issues that young people like older people, but particularly people have no idea. (laughs) what Democrats have done or are quite cynical about it. They're very, very angry about the student loans. They don't know the alternative that's been proposed. They think you're the president of the United States. Why couldn't you deliver on it? You promised it and you didn't do it. Um, So, and that has massive implications uh, and it's just coming online right now. I can also think of uh, issues that the Republicans have an advantage on. And then I can think of issues that Donald Trump has an advantage on, which is different. Republicans in terms of there are a number of economic issues where right now the Republicans have an advantage with young people dealing with inflation and entrepreneurship. Uh, I think that's crazy personally. Um, for an administration that's already promised another tax cut for wealthy corporations. But they're ranked by older voters even more ahead, but they're ranked by younger voters ahead on inflation and ahead on entrepreneurship as well. And they're pushing that entrepreneur agenda very, very aggressively with young men of color. And then there is a big character trait that the Republicans have an advantage on. Uh, Young people think that we are more empathetic. Um, that we are more tolerant and You meant to say that
0: Democrats have an advantage. That don't.
3: the Democrats are more uh, compassionate and more tolerant and tolerance is a, a, a respect is a big issue for them. On the other hand, they think we're weak. Our problem often with young voters is not that people think we are too liberal or we're out of sync with their views, but they think we can't deliver on it, that we're too weak and that were brought by the same special interests and the same lobbyists uh, roam in the halls of Congress visit Democratic doors as well as Republican doors and give contributions to Democrats and Republicans.
1: Morley, let me uh, answer your question of Celinda in a a different way. Um, Because as Celinda talks, what she's saying is the Democrats have a good record on these various issues. Why aren't young people more supportive? And I'll use that to make the point that communication channel matters. Uh, you've got to find young people where they are, which is not MSNBC. Uh, it is TikTok. It is Instagram stories. It is not Facebook. Generally speaking, it is not Facebook. And it's five new social media uh, sites that will be founded and prosper between <laughs> now and the election. And uh, the Democrats, this obviously goes for the Re- Republicans too, but the Democrats need to communicate effectively to this group. And so Linda, I believe it would be fair to say the polling implies that their impression of what this administration has done and the administration's own views on what it's done are not in the same place.
0: And one of the reasons for that is, as you say, that discussing it on MSNBC really doesn't attract a large number of young voters, uh, but doing TikTok films would in fact do that. And in fact, uh, TikTok is almost equally viewed by young Republicans as it is by young Democrats. So it might even give you a chance to open the eyes of some on the other side. Speaking of uh, other sides and bipartisanship instead of partisanship, you guys just did a study on civility and respect. It's an issue that gains a very important rating from about one third of both Democratic uh, and uh, Republican young voters. What did you find?
3: Thank you. And this was a poll that we did, uh, our firm did with Ed Goas. And it's the Battleground Series with Georgetown and um, the American Values uh, or Policy Institute. Um, And all of those institutions are um, committed to respect and bringing people together to get things done. We found um, a number of things. We found, first of all, Remember that young people are the most concerned about where our democracy will be headed. They, that is the area they think will be the worst, uh, even ahead of the economy and inflation and everything else, <coughs> compared to how their parents were. <coughs> and we found that young people absolutely convinced that we. <coughs> take, that we take a are, moment
0: to take a, take a drink. Take a you. moment
3: that we are on the verge of civil war and that civil war is very likely on a scale to zero to 100, young people were at a scale of 72 in terms of the likelihood of a civil war in this country. And they were pessimistic about the future. They thought next year it's going to be an election year. It's going to be even worse. And their numbers moved up to 76. Young people also uh, are very torn because on the one hand, They think that um, it is important to compromise to get things done. On the other hand, they believe my side has compromised already and that um, sometimes my side has compromised too much. And certainly that's true in the demonstrations we're seeing in New York on climate change and fossil fuels. It's true on student loans and some other areas as well. So there's a contradiction here. Yes, I'm willing to compromise, but my side's been the one that's compromised too much already. Right. Um, and uh, it's it's hard to cut, that, cut through that. And um, young people want leaders that stand for something, that tell it like it is, and that will uh, muscularly move things through.
0: Absolutely right. Uh, Mac, any comments? And then we'll move to a slightly different topic. Uh, one that you're done a lot of work in, and that is, uh to what degree have elections been rigged to keep them from voting?
1: Well there cert- there certainly is an effort to make it more difficult and therefore less likely uh for young people to vote and as 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 I think uh uh everyone uh in this group has heard from Rick Hassan and others, uh the election subversion and voter suppression movement uh has gained strength, breadth, and organization. Uh, let me put a frame around it, Morley, just so that this issue is not going away. Let's, let's step back for a minute to understand it. Voter suppression is fairly easy. Think of voting as an industrial process, starting with registration and going to voting and then going to counting uh, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And the voter suppression movement uh, tries to interrupt that industrial process at every stage, what's that mean? That means, make it difficult to get registered. I'll come back to each one of these for young people in a minute. Make it difficult to get registered, make it difficult to stay registered, make it difficult to vote, make it unlikely that that vote will be counted, Uh, make that vote not matter if it is counted, Uh, and (laughs) there there you go. So what's that mean? Uh, Make it difficult to register, I was uh, filming down at Texas A&M. Texas is the the gift that keeps on giving in the voter suppression movement. And uh, the uh, city council or the county council of um, uh, Brazos County had, uh, in the dark of the summer, made a decision to close the voting location on campus. So no precinct, no early voting on campus. Uh, This is a campus of 40,000 people. And uh, done without sufficient notice, without discussion, et cetera. And the students um, uh, were inflamed about it. But just close the polling places on campus. That's uh, voter suppression for college students 101. Uh, There's something else worth mentioning in Texas. I could go through 21 things, but I'll just mention one other. Uh, In Texas, to do a registration drive on the campus of Texas A&M, again, 40,000 students. to just stand in front of the student center and register voters. We've all done it, right? Uh, Either in a mall or in a college campus or door to door. But Texas has a rule uh, that you can only register people from the county where either you live and or you have taken a half-day course on how to be a registrar. And um, uh, you can take that in as many counties as you want. Texas has 254 counties. Uh, and so if you stand in front of the student center, uh, I'll let Celinda do the math on what is the likelihood as a hundred students go by and five of them want to register to vote, what's the likelihood that you're going to be able to sign anybody up at all. And I, I, I could go on and on with residency requirements and, uh, New Hampshire requiring that you re-register your car and change your driver's license. Oh, you don't have a car. You don't have a driver's. Yeah. What, uh, and so, just throwing up barriers to students all the time, uh, make it hard to stay registered. What the heck do I mean by that? Uh, uh, these states now are purging voters from their roles by sending them uh, snail mail letters and saying, um, you know, please return this card if you want to stay registered. And of course, no student ever gets those or reads them. I think we know about the tough to vote uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, and so, It's it's a it's a movement. It's an organized effort. Our prior film rigged the voter suppression playbook uh, presented a playbook uh, uh, like a cookbook of how to suppress the vote. Uh, And uh, they've been adding new chapters and they do it because it works. You know, you're just making it less likely, more costly, more burdensome. Um, uh, And they do it because it works.
0: Streaming now on your local prime platform. Listen, uh, the the documentary, that is. Listen, uh, uh, just a couple of positive notes on the other side. I know you're aware of it, but we were pleased to see Governor Shapiro in Pennsylvania yesterday uh, declare by executive order that they would be joining the ranks of 23 other states plus D.C. with the motor voter law first proposed by Secretary of State Richard Austin during the time of my chairmanship in the Michigan Democratic Party, and now a growing uh, movement and a great solution to it, especially for young people. But there's activism out there as well. Um, There's an organization called Civic Center run by Laura Brill that is trying to make sure that every high school has a voter registration drive. Um, Between now and the election in many states, they can register now if they're going to be 18 by the time of the election, and certainly next year, they should be able to do that. And that's uh, something that uh, every, uh, Selinda, that every democratic campaign should get involved with. There's an organization called RISE that I used to be on the board of. That's the most successful young voter registration and turnout uh, organization in the country as measured by real data and real results. And their new CEO, Mary Pat Hector, was in charge of their efforts in Georgia that had such an incredible positive effect uh, uh, on the politics of the United States. There's also another organization which has a great name, but I'm not as familiar with it. It's called Turnup, but not like the fruit, T-U-R-N, capital U-P, as in turn up the Vote. So if you're interested and concerned about making sure a, a cohort that is 65-35 Democratic does in fact register as they turn out. And all of these numbers that Celinda talked about when we first got started on this call, the democratic shifts, 4 million new such voters every year uh, turn into real votes. Those are just 4 million new eligible voters. But to get them to turn into eligible voters is the work all of us could be involved in who care about the future. Well, let me, let,
1: let me uh, interject in that another layer of this very important registration movement. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of CivicCenter.org and, and the, the work they're doing is fabulous and the others that you mentioned. But I'll recall a conversation I had with a, a one of the leaders at an organization called the Sunrise Movement, which is a um, 30 and under uh, radical, uh, uh, you know, stop oil now uh, this afternoon uh, environmental group. Uh, she told me that uh, leading up to the Um, uh, last election, they registered six million new voters. I I can't audit that number. Uh, But because, as we discussed a few minutes ago, the energy in this generation is at the issue level, reproductive (laughs) rights, climate, school gun safety, uh, a large opportunity to register voters is through those organizations leading that movement. And I would commend people to those.
0: I would uh, second the notion that there's nothing like a hot ballot proposal to drive up young voter turnout. So Linda, any final comments before we turn to the questions from the audience? You'll have closing remark opportunity later, but any other questions that you wanted to give Sure, so one thing
3: I just want to emphasize on the registration and turnout piece, young people are extremely, extremely mobile. And 53% of young people on election day, millennials on election day, will not live where they lived four years ago. 47% of Gen Z will not live where they lived four years ago. So not only do we have to have registration because it becomes a habit, but we have to have re-registration and the states are really clamping down on that. And we have to have GOTV registration. It's only half of it. So that mobility is exceptional. It's bound to go up as the economy gets better, COVID. the mobility, and this is a big, big issue. Uh, the mobility of the younger generation is huge in terms of GOTV.
0: Absolutely. By um, the way, if I were twenty, many of those
1: laws. Yes, Mac. If, if I were twenty-two and listening in here, I would say it makes me crazy that our voting technology is from 1891. Uh, you know, I can I can move all my Bitcoin from Hong Kong to Seoul, Korea, right here on my phone. And tell me again, I've got to walk down somewhere and register, and that's different from well, both
0: what? True, but in California, you don't have to do that. Online voter registration is a thing, and it's really changed the nature of the youth vote. Oh, okay, yeah, let's get to some of the questions from the audience. We could talk about all this stuff with each other forever. Uh, we talked about uh, third party uh, uh, dangers and challenges, the Green Party, no labels. Uh, but Frank wants to know what we think about. Um, um, uh, Cornell West, of course, being part of the Green Party uh, and the standard bearer. But Frank asks, uh, what impact will RFK Jr. have mm-hmm. from a appeal to young people and third party vote? Any sense of that from either one of you? You both don't have to answer, but anyone, either of you have any data?
3: We haven't done any polling on it. We've seen some of the public polling. Uh, he was very, very popular and very popular with young people. Um, the Democrats are pretty united around um, Joe Biden and young people are pretty united around Joe Biden, even if they wish someone younger were running. Yep. Um, Democrats
0: have never been more united in my memory.
3: uh, Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're the, as, uh, as you know, Will Rogers said, we're the Democrats. We don't belong to any organized party.
2: Now you can Um,
0: say that about Republicans and not Democrats.
3: (laughs) Yeah. For the first time. Uh, The other thing I will say though, is, Uh, people are becoming more aware of RFK's positions and some of them really are different. You know, there are differences between where young people stand and RFK's positions. So uh, that, that has raised his negatives. Um, So I, you know, we haven't done a lot of work on it and, uh, but that's a little bit that I've seen publicly.
0: And clearly uh, if they are issue oriented voters and they are, Mm-hmm. he's not in the right place on so many issues uh right. not to say that the other third parties are by the way the only third party that i can think of that's in alignment with um uh, young people's issue stances are is actually the efforts of next week's guest uh sarah longwell and the voters uh against trump uh who've been able mm. to attract republicans to vote some other way if they're young and that's uh and sort of the other side of that coin. Okay, Um, uh, uh, Robert asked. speaking of issues, is illegal immigration a big issue for Gen Z? And he doesn't ask, but one of you should comment, in which direction might it be a big issue?
3: It's not a particularly huge issue with young people. Um, And um, young people very, 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 very in favor of DACA. They're very in favor of a path to citizenship, um, so it's it's not a huge issue. Immigration in general tends to be a dog whistle issue with older white Republicans and in uh, conservative who watch white Fox News. Pardon me.
0: Who watch Fox News?
3: Yes. Another, who another
0: thing News. young people don't do.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: so- Morley, I, I, I'll add to that by the following. Young voters take great pride in having as a primary value fairness and inclusion, uh, and that's how they approach the uh, immigration issue. I'll also say that when you talk to them, um, and and in the part of the conversation where they say they're not sure that capitalism is at least as we practice it is the right system, uh, they're not sure democracy is really working. When you ask them, do you identify more as a member of your generation um, uh, globally or as an American, irrespective of generation? And this is not polling data, this is this is filmmaker data. Um, uh, a surprising number of them uh, identify more with somebody they met on some site uh, sure. in, in Singapore or in Buenos Aires, uh, citizens of the world, global citizens. Uh, consumed with these issues of our elders have ruined the world and it's burning and all of us young people are going to inherit it and it's going to be up to us to solve it. And so they take the immigration issue with that in the back of their mind. It's not going to be a strong issue. issue.
0: Another issue impacted by their worldliness, if you will, their global sensitivities, is they're the generation most in favor of doing more in the Ukraine to, and to use it to defend democracy huh. than any other generation. So it, it is a very interesting aspect of the generation, as so many are. There's a question here I hesitate to ask because it could uh, uh, piss off. It's the best word I can think of uh, uh, potential members of the audience by wh- whichever you answers. So I'm not going to pick on one of you. But would either of you like to try and respond to Ruth's question, which is, are younger voters more likely to be pro-choice because they're less religious?
3: Oh, that's a really good question. Really thoughtful, statistical yeah. question. If I know Ruth, wants Ruth to be and poll- she is. <laughs> well, if Ruth wants to be a pollster, I know a <laughs> friend that would love to talk to her. Uh-huh. That's, a, that's a very smart conclusion. Yeah, uh, in part. Uh, they're also very much... Um, young people are really um oriented toward everybody should decide well people should control their own bodies and that interacts with gender fluidity and transgender issues as well as abortion they're also very oriented that people should have the ability to determine if and when to have children and it's a cohort because of climate change and the economy and a lot of other things um don't just automatically assume they're going to have kids and are really um, debating that and debating the impact on the cu- country, on their families, on the world. Uh, so, yes, somewhat religion for sure, but a lot of other factors, too.
0: So um, uh, we talked a little bit about the different information ecosystems these younger generations inhabit compared to older ones, the over-underline being basically 45. Which is where you see the split in how America votes as well. But Roseanne asks, how effective has each party been in utilizing mm-hmm. communication platforms such as TikTok and Instagram to either persuade or turn out voters? And I don't know that Celinda might be hatched on the answering this question. I don't know. But Mac, you want to take a run at it? I'm, I'm, I, I'm a, a,
1: a new TikToker.
0: Uh, uh-huh.
1: uh, I went to a uh, now the Chinese
0: know all about it. <laughs> uh,
1: a convention in Anaheim a year ago called VidCon, uh, where the attendance was down to 30,000 from its prior 70,000 pre pandemic, and uh, so it is just a massive, massive movement. Uh, I might, my, my answer won't be a statistically, uh, uh, uh strong answer, it'll be anecdotal, and it is that uh, you can't always tell who's put these things on, who's paid for it, where it's coming from. So it may, I I assume the parties would identify themselves, but there might be a super PAC that that doesn't, or an individual who doesn't, or a foreign government uh, who doesn't. And there's a, a lot of content that when I listen to it, political content, especially on TikTok, you say, man, I'd love to know who put that up. And it's framed to you as some 20 year old talking in her bedroom. Um, uh, uh, but in terms of things that I can identify as being from one party or another, uh, as far as I can tell, people haven't shown up yet. Uh, they're trying to push things on Facebook. Uh, but that's, that's where and generation is. is
0: not, Yeah, at least for any information or news they trust. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna, if we keep asking these great and answering these great questions, we may run out of time. So let me squeeze two together that are both about changes in what we've talked about already about Gen Z. Eric wanted to know if the age of cohort varies by geography or is similar across regions. And Gail wanted to know whether their current loyalty to party or lack of it will change as Gen Z ages, specifically citing the research data that uh, once people voted for a certain party, in a couple of elections that their party ID, at least, tends to solidify. Yeah. You guys want to talk about either one or both of those?
3: Well, regionally, um, young people are very similar, actually. And they're mobile. They're moving between regions and among regions. And they're they're global in their orientation. They're quite sophisticated, and they, they like diversity, and they are diverse. So they're moving in different communities, no matter where they are. They uh, the two big predictors of attitudes are religiosity and um, the uh, your college education. And there's still lots and lots of young people who are non-college educated. It happens to be the best non-college educated group for us. Uh, we, we won them by four points where we're losing uh, non-college educated older voters by double digits. Um, so uh, I would say that there, it's less regional and more um, due to other factors. Um, And then Mac, I'll turn the other question to you. You may know more about that than I do.
0: And which I would only add on Celinda's answer. Oh, please. also just answered Erica's question on education and young people. Okay, great, Mac. Um, I'm gonna add something,
1: which is that if if I were a candidate, uh, which I'm not, I would try to remember that young people exist in pretty consistent proportions in every precinct in the country. Uh, rich people are concentrated in these 10 zip codes, black people are concentrated in those 10 zip codes, et cetera, and so on. But young people are everywhere. And so these attitudes will affect every race. Um and I think that's something that we we've 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 grown used to saying uh, you know, people in Minnesota are X. uh, but young people are sprinkled uh throughout the entire they country. They are
0: truly global citizens. Um, OK, now we're going to turn this issue closer to home for Celinda and probably for Mac. We're going to talk about Biden and Vice President Harris. Only one question on Harris. Uh, but uh, let me just get the actually Let me get the Harris question out of the way by citing some recent polling. The person wanted to know what this generation's attitude was about Vice President Harris, particularly because in the news she's receiving such positive uh, reception, uh, getting such positive receptions on our college campus tour. Polling verifies why that's taking place. 55% of 18 to 29 year olds approve of vice presidents and the vice president Harris and the job she's doing, the highest among all generations, although it's relatively high among younger people too. So I'll, we'll take care of that one. Uh, Then the question was, um, uh, uh, where were you to give from Zachary? Were you to give advice to Biden, what would it be? So Linda, this is what you do for a living. So go ahead and take it back and say something that you don't mind being recorded.
3: Well, I think that uh, uh, I would give him the same advice that he would. he's already given his team. I mean, it was very interesting, even working for him, even in the primaries. Um, in the primaries, obviously, young people were with different candidates. Uh, Joe Biden's coalition was overwhelmingly African-American and older and he said from day one I don't want to win without young people they are the future and I have important things to say to them around and do for them and he's been the most proactive on climate change he's tried to defend abortion he's been very proactive on student loans even though he's gotten you know thrown out time and time again so um i think i would say that it's the same advice Uh, we got to talk to young people, we got to talk in the right channels, and we have the right record, we have to get it out. And I think we have to draw a better contrast. Um, You know, uh, Donald Trump is headed, apparently to the UAW strike picket line. And that's something that that's the kind of action young people would like. Um, The, you know, that, tell it like it is the boldness of just go don't don't let your handlers do it just be pure whatever whatever um the problem is nobody's talking about the fact that he consistently undermined the right to organize <laughs> um, oh so yeah no. right uh he'd have you out on that picket line all the time and Uh, there needs to be accountability to young people and to everyone and young people. I'm very optimistic about they, because they care about issues, if they were given decent information, they would pick up on it and maybe even pass it on to their parents and their grandparents.
0: Well, speaking of which we have a question from uh, Lois asking, what's the best way to ensure that my two college age granddaughters vote? And the answer is make sure you relate to them and and what beyond that
1: uh the The biggest indicator of whether people that age or any age will vote is whether their friends are voting. Uh, yes. and so uh, uh, that that's the social group and talking about voting. Have you voted? Are you registered, et cetera?
0: That is the key to organizing young voters is build a relationship first and involve their friends. Okay, uh, we're almost out of time on questions before we give you two a chance to sum up in some way that you find appropriate. Uh, but um, will younger people impact the Electoral College? I think the answer to that, unless you correct me, is no, they live everywhere. So that may not change. But do you have any thoughts about that? Because after all, that'll determine the outcome of the presidential election.
1: If there, well, uh- if, if there were ever a... a- a semi-successful effort to get rid of the electoral college, young people would be uh, in favor of it. They think it's irrational and um, there must be some insider's game going on. And what a ridiculous um, uh, system that's not relevant for the election 14 uh, months from now. So, so Celinda.
3: I couldn't have said it better, Matt. Thank
0: you. Well, in that case, I have to ask Jim's question or people will think I deliberately censored it. The last one in before closing remarks. Um, How do you view the media's treatment of Biden and the age factor? Is it as unfair and ageist as all us older voters think, or is it a real problem in the uh, uh, voting decisions of most Americans? But since tonight we're talking about young people in young people's decision,
1: you know, young people are are complicated about Biden's age. Um, They they trade biden staff biden uh, stumble videos they trade biden gaffe uh videos and then they vote for them yeah. um uh and so uh uh what biden needs to do is talk about issues uh not mom and apple pie uh because younger voters take talk about issues as a gesture of respect don't treat younger voters as your grandchildren. Treat them as your boss, because they are. Uh, and so Biden but needs to- you're still to, out to
0: love them. Uh,
1: I, I would, I would I, if I were Biden, I would be very straight. Think of Bernie. Uh, Bernie mm-hmm. never had an age problem. Bernie mm-hmm. was authentic on the issues, 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 issues. Uh, and Bernie expressed something else that's not coming out of Biden, which is urgency urgency on climate change, urgency on income redistribution, income on, you know, urgency on student debt. Um, and he was consistent and he was authentic. There isn't an age problem that can't be solved. Uh, You know, register voters, register young people to vote, uh, be on social media, issues, 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 um, uh, uh, and act like people are your boss. That's what I would do.
0: Well, that's summation. Celindo, you want to give your own equally eloquent uh, couple minutes reaction to all of we talked about tonight or should have talked about?
3: Well, I will say that um, young people, their turnout rate, their vote for third parties or not, uh, and their vote, obviously, the presidential. But I, I think if they vote the two major candidates, they'll vote disproportionately for Biden. Um, that is very likely to be the margin of victory. So it is in their hands. And the second thing I would say is, I don't think that campaigns realize the degree to which, either on either side, the degree to which young people will determine the president in 2024. Um, They're not allocating their dollars that way. They're not allocating their dialogue that way. They're not forming their message that way. Uh, And I think that we should understand That young people are going to determine uh, ballots up and down, uh, who's elected up and down the ballot, and what happens to these initiatives.
0: I couldn't uh, agree with you more. And I just urge you to stand, shout, hold your breath, do whatever you have to do to get the attention of those who actually control those budgets and are wasting so much of it on broadcast TV that not a single young person is watching. But uh, I'm sure you can do that because. You've done so much for Democratic Party in the past, and I'm sure you do it here. And thank you, Mac, for all of your wonderful insights tonight. Uh, We both thank you for a stimulating and fascinating program.